Hello, and welcome to the It's Not Personal podcast, a podcast about making work more engaging, more fulfilling, and ultimately more human by taking the ego out of leadership. I am here with Ken Grady, a Fortune 500 CIO and business leader, as well as gentleman farmer and snappy dresser. And I'm here with Seth Rigoletti, my always friend and often collaborator and co-conspirator. Seth is an executive and communications coach who's worked with a number of different organizations and whose superpower is helping people understand the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. How you doing, Seth? Doing okay, Ken. Thanks so much for coming back. Yeah, it's Appreciate been a few days. It. Yeah, it's been a few days. So um, today we're supposed to talk about not all teams are teams. Not, and all, what, not all teams are quote-unquote teams. Yeah, not all quote-unquote teams are teams. <laughs> and, and and remind me again, what when we were when we came up with these titles, what, mm. what were we thinking? What what was it that brought this along? Well, for me, you know, there's this this metaphor. I mean, there's lots of metaphors for teams people use in business, right? And and you and I have talked before about like sports metaphors, and you know, uh, I know a guy that's a big cyclist, and he thinks about like you know the Tour de France and how the teams work there, and and you know they they have leaders and and trailers, and I I'm way out over my head right now. I have right. no sports knowledge, but. But lots of different, and of course, I mentioned before that I was in the army years ago, and we, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on teams and team leadership, et cetera, and, and the military and squad leadership, et cetera. But my favorite metaphor that, and this is definitely what I was thinking about when mm. we came up with these, was offered to me by actually somebody I work with, somebody on my team, mm. and he said, "Wow," he said, "This team, this team operates like a jazz band." Mm. And I was like, "Whoa, I like music." Tell me, tell me more. Say more about that. What are you talking about? Yeah. And he said, you know, jazz, jazz bands have leaders, but anybody in the bands can be playing the lead at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And that means that you got to listen real hard mm -hmm. to know how to support the others and know when it's your time, your turn to be the leader. And I, I just, I love that metaphor because that is... I think for any of us, for any any organization, you, when you're putting together a team as a leader, you know, often you're inheriting some folks, right? You may be stepped into a fully functioning team, you know, but generally you're going to have experts leading their functions. Mm. And there's that, you know, I think it's attributed to Steve Jobs, that quote that says, yeah, I don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. I hire smart people so they can tell me what to do, Right. And I think when you're really disagree with them, <laughs> I don't disagree with them. But I think the point is that you know I think when you when you think about a team, when I think about when I think about a team that I want to be a part of, you know, it's it's a group of people that are often smarter than me, or at least smarter than me in their own space, and I want to listen to them real hard and know when it's my turn to lean in and support them. Yeah, and you and you do something else too. I noticed with your teams, which is you you don't meddle so much so you're which is which is confusing i think to people who um mm. are are coming from a different kind of a leader so you don't want to like i don't need an update about the update that you're about to give <laughs> at the update time like i need i just need to know like I, and then even when you're giving me the update like i really don't need you to walk me through every single ups and down like just give me the the sense because you trust them 
And that's, that's a big that's a big thing that can be hard for people, right? I you know it it I I guess I mean it always surprises me when people say, oh wow, like you just you just trust them. Yeah, that's why we hired them. I'd, so if I didn't try, and I did, I had I had one. It was and he was one of my favorite, you know, folks I've worked with. Great guy, a lot of respect. But he would he would send me an email, and then he would send me a text to tell me he had sent me an email uh, with an update. I said, "Did you just text me to tell me you sent me an email?" Like I read my emails, dude. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was. I think this is part of it too with teams is establishing norms and expectations. What's Let's pause. Let's put a pin in that. Okay. Because that's that's going to be an important part of this conversation. Mm. Let's go back to just, you know, wh- when is a team not a team? So first of all, first of all, every time you he- I hear this a lot. So as a coach, I'm always brought in on some level like, hey, I, I just got promoted. I-, I just got assigned a new team. Mm. Well, what I'm always interested in is like, is it? Right. Right? <laughs> you You got assigned a bunch of people. Yeah. Who all have like some sort of reporting schedule to, towards you and they probably have some job to do, but is it a team yet? Yeah. Right? And, and, and what does it take, right? What does it take to take, to, to transform a bunch of individuals, you know, who all meet together and get those individuals into a team mindset, that jazz band mindset? How do you get there? You don't just get there, right? No, you don't just get there. I mean, I think, and this is this is interesting too, is we work in a, a distributed world, a hybrid world. A you work in a matrix world. organization too. So those, A matrix world. Oh gosh, right. yeah. All those dynamics come into it. Can, because, we, can we just name what those things are? So, so just in case we have listeners who don't know what you mean by distributed, know, you know, not sure what you mean by matrixed. Yeah. So, you know, distributed these days, especially, so I work as a part of an international organization. I have team members that live in different countries, live in different, certainly different time zones, speak different languages natively. And so that's, that's the distributed part of it is that we're just not all physically co-located. Right, and that limits your ability to build relationships at times, unless you're deliberate about it. And we've talked a little bit about that in different episodes, but certainly that's part matrixed. And I've been part of a number of organizations, including my current one, where there are formal and or informal dotted line relationships, where maybe I'm your direct supervisor, but you also have accountability to this other person for that project or for that program or for some other reasons. And so you can end up with, you know, literally two or more bosses Mm. um, and therefore, you know, who may have two or more sets of priorities that have to be balanced. And that's certainly a very real challenge at a lot of organizations. And I think uh, I've been in organizations where that's formal and that's expected and there's kind of a process around it in organizations where it's informal mm. and that can be sometimes it's certainly less bureaucratic but harder right um, because it's not clear like where are my expectations coming from right no that makes sense so so if you are leading a team that's distributed mm. that's matrixed right that might not um, they might have responsibilities even outside of your mm. group absolutely right? Um, what do we do to make sure that they become a team? What do you do? Yeah, I think, so this goes back to the thing we put a pen in, which is the norms and expectations and understanding, 
you know, understanding one another, actually. Mm-hmm. Understanding one another's priorities. What what's what's my prior what's my personal and what's my professional priority? Maybe, you know, I've got a set of goals from the organization that we need to accomplish, drive down operational cost, increase, you know, this capability or, or efficiency, uh, whatever it is, new product launch. But I might also have personal goals that I want to get promoted or I want more time in the C-suite or things. And having those conversations creating, for me, creating the space where we can actually share those things with one another. Mm. Uh, Or maybe it's my personal goal is I want to spend more time with my family this year, right? And helping, that's where, again, uh, yeah, I use that metaphor so much, that jazz band, but where if I don't ask you what those expectations are, Mm. How the hell am I going to know when to lean in and support you yeah. to achieve those expectations? So let's let me just see if I can find a way in here that that I think I think this if I think about jazz band mm. right they they are they're not just playing it's very funny jazz is a very funny thing to choose for this right because <laughs> jazz is like they're oftentimes playing an actual melody yeah they're playing off of something yeah but. The song that they're playing off of, you know, could be unrecognizable to someone walking in the room in the middle of the song, mm. right? Because they they go off and there could be a solo by the bassist, there could be a solo by the, the drummer, there could be all this stuff, but there's an un- underlying framework mm. that they're all operating up. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's, sort of? that's why I think this metaphor works so well. Yeah. And like I said, I like music. So this, I mean, I would have picked bluegrass personally because I play mandolin and banjo, but... Uh, but it, the metaphor was jazz, and it, but it's it's it is why I like it so much. Is because, you know, it, when it's time for the bassist to take the solo, that bassist might take it in unexpected directions. It's still mm. the same song. We all know which direction we're going to end up in. We know what mm. the goal is for this, um, but he might interpret it and execute on it in his own his own expertise, and. It's our job to support them in that moment, right? Right, And that happens at work. That happens, you know, I lead a technology organization, and if I ask three of my different leaders who run different parts of the domain or platform or whatever to solve a problem, they're going to solve it in three different ways. Because they're going to use the tools they're most familiar with, most expert with. They're going to engage mm-hmm. their own right. teams, you know, to come up. And that's that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. And then we can actually, then we can have a discussion around which way is the most efficient or effective. Well, actually, that's the part that I was interested in. Mm. Because the, the from my from my perspective, right, from a communication perspective, there's there's this thing that we forget, which is you, you can't, a team can't really negotiate those different ways, those different perspectives or tools mm. if they can't talk to each other. Yeah. Well, one of the best, tools I have, one of the best questions through those in those kind of moments is, well, why'd you do it that way? Why'd hmm. you approach it that way? You know, asking the team out loud, like getting them to have the conversation so they explain their thought process. Right. So let me make sure, because you're, you're, I, I hear it this way, but I want to make sure that you're saying it this way. Hmm. What I hear you saying is out of real curiosity. Yeah. 
Tell me why you. Tell me more about why you did it that way. I'm interested. Tell me more about. But 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 so but just so the listeners understand, because you could also say that like, why'd you do it that way, dumbass? Right? <laughs> like you could definitely see you. You put dumbass on the end of that sentence, and and you could definitely be implying that they did something wrong. So I mean, in fairness, if you put dumbass on the end of any sentence, you're implying. That's, that's, so, <laughs> that's so, what mean, yeah. so so my 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 this though we understand like what I'm trying to get at here is that like when we ask a question out of curiosity, we want to know like what actually is going on here. What's actually tell me more about what's what you were thinking, right? We want to be careful. I think we said this earlier, be careful that you're actually curious and yeah. i think that's a great thing about you ken is that you actually you really want to know what what they were thinking not not so that you can tell them what they were thinking was wrong that what they were thinking was incorrect but you really want to know so then you can have a better understanding of where they're coming from is that right it is and you know and again it gets back to some norms and expectations mm. and my you know my <laughs> expectation of the team and i'm 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 verbal about this right is right. You know, you're you're here for your experience, your perspective, uh, and your leadership. So I trust that you're going to come out, whatever it is, tough situation, with the right intentions for the company, for the team, you know, for for each other. Um, so let's be genuinely curious. When we have moments where we don't understand one another, what's that's a signal to us mm. that we should pause and ask mm. and listen. And so again, that goes back to that you know that music theme. So I keep coming back to, is, um, you know that's you need to listen really hard to understand when it's your time and how do you support the other person in their time. Yeah. So the, to to kind of go a little deeper in this idea of the listening and the teams piece. So it's, this can sometimes feel very technical, right? Like, well, if I just listen. Yeah. If I just wait my turn, if I just do these things, if I share my perspective, if I present my tools, like if I just, like a checklist, right? Well, Which is helpful. Yeah. But. I mean, let's compare it to the, <laughs> an alternative classic kind of teaming, you know, hierarch hierarchical uh, leadership approach, which is the command and control, the pyramid, the top down, right. which is I'm going to tell you and you're going to report. Reporting is a very different thing mm -hmm. than being asked, like you're going to report out on the progress on your action plan or the, the blockers or whatever, then I'm, I'm going to tell you how to solve for that, you know, or, or maybe I'll get another person to come in and tell you how to do that or tell me how to do that. Telling is not the same thing as this, this whole listening, asking and listening thing. Right. And it's, I think that's the fundamental difference in, you know, the, at least the organizations I want to be a part of and want to create is, you know, I really genuinely believe like, We've said it before, but I believe everybody that I meet, let alone lead, has something to teach me. Right. You know, and so this is, right. okay, what is it? And, and what are you going to take? Tell me. I'm curious. About well, this. And, 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 and I think the reporting thing is a good example, right? Like, they have something to teach you, but if what they have to teach you is to tell you what they're doing, hmm. right, that's probably not very interesting to you. Like, it's just that, that like, just that... Let me tell you how good I am, and let me tell you how the things I solved for today. That's probably not as interesting to you, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that becomes quickly, like, I'm going to glaze over. I actually want to pull this back to something I shared with you offline, which was, you know, I was in a, a conference mm -hmm. on a panel, and it was a discussion around generational cohorts and how different mm -hmm. generations want to 
lead, be part of a team, how they want a team, how they want to engage. And great discussion, really good discussion. What are we seeing in the labor market and how are things evolving? And somebody in the audience stood up and said, what do you do about these Gen Z employees that, I mean, they're just going to leave if they don't feel engaged by their frontline manager. And I said, well, okay, let's talk about that stereotype for a minute. Because this, this is about teaming too, because I think the workplace expectations are definitely changing. And I think that this is part of that dynamic. I said, but let's talk about that stereotype. Mm -hmm. So what does a Gen Z employee want? Or a millennial employee want? Or whatever, you know, whatever the label is. I said, you know, they want to they want to have they want to understand how decisions are made in a transparent way. They want to have work with purpose. They want to have regular feedback from their manager. Yeah. They want to feel heard that their work is having an impact and they know that development opportunities are available to them. You know who else wants all that? Everybody. I want all that. I <laughs> said so so this is about, you know, I think about like the teams we're creating and whether it's your small group of direct reports or a larger organization, you think about, you know, how, okay, so how do you go about creating all of that where mm -hmm. people feel engaged, heard, valued, you know, that they have an impact, that they have a path. And this is, this is where really as leaders, you have the opportunity to say, maybe it's not, and this is how I challenge that person in the audience. I said, maybe it's not that, maybe it's not a trend. Maybe it's not a generational thing. Maybe right. it's not the individual problem. Maybe it's the management culture. So this goes back, just so, just so we understand, this goes back to the title of this whole podcast, right? Mm. The it's not personal. Right. You know, it's not so mm. much, it's not, it's, not, it's not that it's not, you can't be human, you can't be relational. That's not what we mean, right? It's like, right. it's not about the personality. Right. It's not about the persona, yeah. right? So when we do that, when we say like, oh, those Gen Zers, <clears throat> you know, those, those Gen Xers or whatever we're doing, we're hooked on like some sort of identity or persona that's not actually helpful. Careful, I think I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not sure, I'm really sure. But. So am I. <laughs> I know our, our, our audience can't see us, but yeah, I'm definitely not Gen Z. That's what I know. <laughs> um, well, temperamentally. Tem maybe temperamentally. Temperamentally. But my Peloton likes to remind me that I'm not Gen Z every time I get off of it. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that's, like you said, it gets back to our primary thesis. I don't know why we started this podcast, why we started talking about this is because you get, and that's where I think that command and control, it it might feel efficient, but it dehumanizes some of the opportunities for connection. Well, the, you, the word control, I think is really important. So the, pro mm. the problem, the problem with a, when, when you think about a jazz performance, uh, like a small jazz band, not a big jazz band, but a jazz performance, it's, it's not really clear who's in charge. Hmm. You know, a true improvisational jazz band. I mean, if Miles Davis is up there, fine. Like you can, you know, he's, he's probably in charge. in charge. Yeah, but like, it's not always. It's not clear from the audience's standpoint who's running the show. And a lot of times on the stage, I imagine jazz musicians will tell you, like, "Yeah, I just decided to like step in here because I heard that something was happening and this, and like it felt like I could do." And they're just. They're they're really truly collaborating, whereas if you think of a I don't know a sym symphony, yeah, right? with the conductor, with the conductor, yeah, I imagine that there's there's just a, an illusion again that there's more control, right? There's more control, but I I don't know, maybe there's not. I don't think like the first violinist ever like I, I just felt like riffing on that. Yeah, know? just <laughs> I just had to go a little longer <laughs> with that note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think we're very much in love 
with this idea of a conductor as as controlling all the instruments. But even that, mm. even that, the conductor is not playing the instruments. And that's where like that relationship, that building a team, even amongst the symphony orchestra, True. right? Yeah. Building a team and a cohesion between them and a relationship with the conductor in such a way that if I lift my arm a little bit higher, that you know what that means. Not only you know right. what that means, you know what I mean. Well, that's that shared language. And this is a really important thing about teams, too, is good teams have a shared language. Yeah. They understand what it, what I mean when I say, you know, I think maybe we need to dig in here. Like They, they understand what I'm talking about there. Or they, I'm trying to think of better examples. But they understand when I say, you know, we need to dial up our red on this one, yeah. right? You know, we need to dial up our, our focus on it. Like yeah. we, they, that shared language is, it becomes, and it's, this is going to be hard too for a, a new person coming in to an organization. You talked about the example of being called in as a coach. You know, I've got a new team and your question is, well, is it a team yet? Yeah, is it a team? And the answer to that might be yes. It might be, you might've inherited a team and now they have, already have a shared language that you don't know. There you go. And you've got to learn. Yeah, it's not it's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's already a team. I mean, it's 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 good for them, but yeah. it's like you're walking into something that's that's already established. You have to figure out how you're going to yeah. manage that. And so again, I, it comes back to me in that circumstance of well, what's the key there? Well, as a leader, you need to listen mm. real hard mm. to what is that shared language? Where are the you know, the natural partnerships within this team, where are the perhaps friction points within this team? And you, you get that through the listening, right? And understanding through that. Yeah. And listening with an open mind too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's very hard to do. Like I think about, you know, when I think about teams in, in and of themselves, and we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between my team and the team and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But the, the when I think about teams, like you're all trying to, you're all trying to accomplish a shared goal. But I'm also trying to accomplish a goal for me, mm. right? Like I want to get promoted, mm. and or I want to get um, the kudos for having accomplished some sort of task, or I want to be able to feel like I'm doing engaging work. And how do you get people to put aside their own egos? so that they can work together towards a shared goal. How do you do that with the understanding that they will still get their own stuff accomplished? Well, I think, you know, as a leader, and I'll go back to your Miles Davis example. Uh, great example. Yeah, yeah, he's the leader, but when the bassist leans in and does his thing, you go to a good jazz performance, like when the bassist finishes her solo, she gets a round of applause from the audience. And, and Miles Davis is the leader, set that moment up or allowed it to happen. Right. And the other players all see that that happened and they know that when it's their turn, when, you know, to step in and do, yeah. the leader's gonna allow that to happen as well. They're gonna allow them to take that moment, take the spotlight and get the applause. There's a, there's a reason why all of the musicians who played with Miles Davis went on to having tremendous careers. Mm. I mean, Herbie Hancock, mm. right? John Coltrane. You can kind of go down the list. Lee Morgan. Like, you go on this list of these players who just, they, they when they, they must have 
grown so much under Miles's tutelage. Mm. You know, he was exacting. He was very like, you know, he needed like a certain kind of sound, and he, if you didn't give it to him, he'd kick you out. Like whatever. <laughs> like that was intense, right? But, yeah. Like, but you know, you were allowed to grow yeah. in that space, and you were allowed to get showcased. Well, and I think, and and I think that that builds trust. Again, back to that. You know, it builds trust. It builds confidence that if I need help here, the rest of the team is going to step in and help me. Right. Right. And if I did something good, I trust that I'm going to get the kudos. Right. And I'm going to be able to, you know, take my moment and then, you know, kind of keep moving forward. That you care about their career. Yeah. That's that's actually like an important thing, right? Like if I'm asking you to, um, you know, in, in, in the world of like sports, like if in football, like if I'm asking you and you're a receiver and I'm asking you to block, I know this isn't like, a, not uh, talking your language, but I'm sports you, ball, I know. All right. I'm I'm asking asking to, I'll go along. I'm right. asking you to block, which means you're not going to score any points. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, and you're going to probably get hurt. Like it's going to hurt. Like I'm asking you to do that because we will, it will set us up in such a situation where we'll score a touchdown, which will benefit us as a team as we move forward. And I'm not going to forget that. Mm. But the coach has to be willing to say, I'm not going to forget that. And then the person on the team has to be willing to see that their own value is is in uh, not just in their individual accomplishments, but in their ability to help others be successful. Yeah, I think as a leader, you, you and that's a great example, even if it was a sports ball example. Um, but you always have to remember when you're asking somebody to take a personal risk for an organizational benefit. Mm. How do you help them understand the what's in it for them? Right. And the what's in it for them may be, you know, the long-term career growth. It may be, uh, you know, um, the opportunity for promotion or for skills development or for some other kind of recognition. Who knows? But you can never forget that. Like, you know, like that example is I'm asking you to, like, stand in front of this person and get hit. Right. And even if that is a real thing in, in the sports ball and football, you know, we know that in the conference room, in the meeting room, that's real, too. Yeah. I need you to stand up there and take this hit. I need you to stand up there and deliver the bad news. So this is actually, again, to weave in the personal piece. This is hard because yeah. the higher up the ladder you go, you know, obviously the fewer people are up there. Right. So the, few, the higher up you go in the pyramid, the fewer people are, are actually like look around. You're like, oh, like. Who's going to get to the top, mm-hmm. right? And then if I have to, if I have to take a hit, so that you're successful, mm-hmm. does that mean you're going to get to the top before me? These are competitive people. You, oh yeah, these are not yeah. like, you know, collaboration in, in teamwork takes to get back to your point about creating norms, cultural norms, expectations to be really clear about what is the melody we're working off of here and how this is going to help us all be better. Well, one of the things that's really important to me to emphasize to the team, every team I've worked with, is these are not zero-sum games. So Say that again. These are not zero-sum games. Zero-sum meaning that there's only one winner and everybody else is a loser. Right. Right. You You can't have a winner without a loser. And one of the ways that I emphasize that is, you know, celebrating each other's success mm. is really important. Back to the norms and expectations. Like, you know, and again, back to the jazz example, when the bassist, I'll pick something different. When the, I'm not a big jazz musician, but like when the trumpet player, um, 
finishes their lead and they get the applause, we should all be happy for that person mm-hmm. that just got the applause, right? Because we'll have our own moment to shine, right? Mm-hmm. And this is this is really key: is we celebrate one another, we celebrate one another's success, um, and we support that success, and we even set each other up for success. So this, what, what's so funny, and maybe the people listening to this podcast feel this way, but it's it's funny, like. What you're saying on one level sounds so obvious. Uh, right. Yeah. Right? So clearly obvious. And yet it's so rare. Like it feels rare to me. It feels like it feels like people will agree to it and nod to it, but then when it comes time to actually leading a team or being a part of a team, they just look for every opportunity and not do that. Why? Why is that? I think a lot of organizations, well, every almost every organization has some limits on their resources. You know, some like we can do, we can do anything. We can't do everything. That's one of my friends likes to say. And so you are always sort of internally in an organization. And this is where it gets to be, you know, my team or our team, kind of the big team or the yeah, little team. Yeah, there we go. Let's talk about that. Yeah. The, so you're always sort of competing for resource, attention, priority. You know, I could hire, you know, new salespeople or I could invest in this new IT platform or I could build a new packaging line, you know, but we can't do everything. And so you're selling, you know, a vision that, well, my thing, our thing, this thing is the thing that gives the highest return. Well, now you're talking about prioritization. Yeah, and but I'm talking as well about what happens when you're not prioritized. Yeah, right. Because everybody comes with their own idea of what needs to happen. Absolutely. And so, you know, number one, try and ground those conversations in fact, right, in data, and say if we invest a dollar here, we're going to get four dollars on the other side. You know, within nine months, that becomes a very clear articulation of value, and then you you take away the emotion out of the prioritization discussion. But the piece of it too, as a leader, it's important, and I think I I, I think this gets to the heart of why this feels rare is I think that we forget as leaders to explain or provide that context to our teams. This is how we're making this decision. When I go back to like, you know, the Gen Z or stereotype and I said, they want to understand how decisions are made. And I think most organizations are really bad at explaining how decisions are made. And that leaves people feeling disengaged, unempowered, you know, something like that they're in competition when they're not really, they don't have the context or something, but we're really bad at explaining how we're making decisions. Back to my question of, I'm genuinely curious, genuinely curious why'd you approach it that way? Why'd right. you come to that conclusion? Right. Why'd you make that decision? Why'd you make that decision? And if you can get people to answer that question, I think then you, oh, the trust goes through the roof. Yeah, and I, and I think, and I think too, and maybe that question is a part of this as well, is there's a there's a reluctance to be vulnerable. There's a reluctance to be vulnerable in leaders, and there's a re- reluctance sometimes to be vulnerable on the team. Mm. So for me to, you know, to really work with other people, I have to be willing to be wrong. I have to be willing to be right and still not get my way. I have to be willing to listen yeah. to a different perspective than mine, which may actually go against some worldview, some idea I have about what's right, you know, the way yeah. things work. I mean, that's that's a lot. I think that's part of it, too. I think it's part of why organizations are really bad at explaining how they make decisions mm. is because if you explain how you make a decision, someone yeah, might disagree. Yeah. And and they might be right. 
and you might have been wrong. Now, I look at that and say, well, that's awesome. That's an opportunity to like, oh, wow, you're right. I should have made a different decision. Let's yeah. do it differently next time yeah. and learn from that. But I think that, that, that reluctance or that fear of being wrong in public is what is the big headwind to actually creating this sense of unified purpose and team. Yeah. I, I I agree with that. That's a good point. Can we can you talk a little bit about how you just thinking about mm. this in terms of what we were, what we started off talking about? How do you how do you get your senior leadership team to see the other senior leadership leaders on that team as part of their team? So everyone's at the level your the, your team is at. Like everyone's good about their teams. Mm. Like no one gets to the level that they're at. Like no one gets to that senior director, director, VP level where they're not already thinking, I got to lead my teams. I got to be good about my teams. I got to take care of my teams. How do you get them to think about the other people on that team as being part of their team? The, you know, uh, grounding all of our discussions in kind of what is it we're here to do is a big part of it. And, um, Making sure that when we do our strategic planning, lots of organizations have processes like this. When you do strategic planning, et cetera, you know, or when I set my goals and objectives, one of the things I like to look at is, can everyone in my organization see themselves within these goals and objectives? Mm. Can everyone in my organization see mm. where their part is in this? And so they can take this or the strategy or whatever, they can take this and they can interpret it for themselves. Sometimes that's been a good practice for me, by the way, as a leader, because I'll realize, oh, I, ooh, wow, I left this thing out. I actually need to, you know, we, oh, yeah, we need to emphasize this other thing here. And it's a practice that I encourage my team to do themselves and say, as you're setting your goals and objectives, you know, how are you, how do others, not in your function, yeah. see how they're going to impact or be impacted by what you're doing? And oh, if you love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, say that again. Say that again in a slightly different way. So, so when, you know, when you're setting your goals and objectives and you're thinking about the rest, your colleagues, just put it in that, and it could be in any context, more or less. Do you think about how your goals, how your objectives are going to impact or be impacted by? Meaning, I'm going to make you change or I'm going to need you to change in order to be successful. Can I give you a perfect example? Of, uh, yeah. I think a perfect example of this. I, I had some work done. This is years ago. I had some work done on our house. We were doing re, redoing the, the kitchen. And um, they, there were studs. So all the walls were down to the studs. And the electrician was coming that day. And the guy who was building, who was working in the, on the, in the kitchen, came in. He was all like hot to go. He was like, we just got the wall board in. I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to start putting the wall board up. And he just went nuts that morning and just put up all the wall board. The electrician showed up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought this guy was going to lose. I mean, he lost his mind. I thought he was going to like, I thought we were going to have to I thought they were going to have to call the cops. Like he <laughs> lost his mind because you know, as an electrician, like it's when you know it's just studs, you know your job is like I can be in and out of here in probably two hours, yeah, three hours, right? Yeah. Like I know how, what to do. When you have the wall board up, all of a sudden you're like, I got to snake everything. Got it. He lost his mind, and what what it was was in the in the contractor was super. You know, he's embarrassed. He was apologetic, but like he hadn't thought. 
about how what he does mm. touches what other people are doing, trying to do. He hadn't thought about it. Yeah, and this is, oh, this is so easy to do. And I've seen it in so many teams. Uh, in my own, and we've had to work through it, but like, you know, it's, you're not successful if you finish your part, but the next person isn't able to pick it up. Right. Right. You, are you, you really successful? Like, right. I mean, you got, he got the, he got the sheetrock up. Yeah. He did, he did his bit. But if the electrician has to come in and cut a bunch of holes in it to make it work, yeah. is that really successful? Was it, and was it successful for you, the homeowner? I mean, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, everything's thrown off then, you know, and so that's, that's the messaging is kind of, you're not successful on your own. You can't be successful on your own in any organization. I mean, even, you know, you're, you're a consultant and, you know, coach, but you have, you have colleagues and teammates and people you work with, et cetera, and you're not successful unless those people are also successful. Well, I mean, I mean, just even though it's pretty much just me, I can't go into any situation yeah. and assume that I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. I have to. But, and this, this is really, again, underlining our theme, right? Which is, right. you know, setting the ego aside and realizing, yeah. you know, it's not personal. Right. You need all these other people right. to be successful. Like I work, you know, I work a lot with, and I'm an, I'm an IT leader, I'm a technology leader, and, you know, but I work a lot with my commercial colleagues, for example, my right. marketing colleagues. I said, hey, my job is to make you wildly successful because we don't make any of these investments. Right without a purpose. And the purpose is to <laughs> move more product, to grow the business, to help our customers be right. successful. And so why would I approach any decision as a leader with my own, within my own area without an eye towards, is this gonna help us drive revenue, decrease costs, you know, uh, innovate faster, right. those kind of things, those basic things. So, so just to kind of go back to this team piece mm. that we were starting off in the beginning, like. You know, back, I think it was back in 2015, we did the breaking the frame. Is yeah, that right? that's when we started that work, right? Yeah. Like, so, so we should explain what that is. Yeah. So, so you were, you were stepping into a, uh, this role. Yeah. And, uh, and you were inheriting. I was that leader. Yeah. You were inheriting a team that was, ha that was a team and it was expecting things to happen a certain way. Mm. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was that leader that, um, and that's really some of the first work you and I did together was joining an organization that had established norms and expectations, yeah. had a shared language. Uh, the context of that was uh, the company I was joining was going through a significant transformation, a, a different go-to-market model. And they were asking and expecting the technology organization to enable them which meant changing those norms and expectations and goals and objectives and just a lot of fundamental change on that front. And so we, you and I sat down together and I said, look, we, we're gonna have to help the team step ball change into this, you know, pivot yeah. into this. I said, it's a little different to, yeah. technology is no longer a back office function, now we're gonna be customer facing. That's gonna come with a whole new set of pressures, it's gonna come with a whole new language, it's gonna come with a whole new set of investments and skills and all that kind of stuff. So the, the, the frame piece was about the expectations. The frame, that was exactly it. The frame was, there used to be a very controlled yeah. method of taking on work. And what was in that frame, Yeah. right? What was in the scope? Sometimes they say the scope, right? Yeah. What was in the scope of, of what we do and what was outside the scope? So whenever things were outside the scope, what would happen? Oh, yeah. No, the answer was, no, we don't do that. Yeah, or, we don't no, do we're that. not going to help you, you know, and, you know. And you needed them to think differently about that. It did. So this was resetting the context and, and, and helping the organization think differently 
in that, you know, now our responsibility is towards top line revenue growth. Yeah, right. Boy, that was weird for folks. Like IT's responsibility is top line revenue growth? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we're yeah. we're customer facing. Technology is how you go to market these days. Yeah. Like this is we need to be in every room. And so well, we don't have a seat at the table. Pull up a chair. Yeah, right. Right. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. This is it. Here we got a seat at the table now. And it was this it was breaking the frame of reference from that was I think where we came up with that maybe was you know, we, we had to break the frame of reference from a historic uh, rigid mentality to an open and learner mentality. More and large, right? So we just we didn't we didn't actually we didn't actually eliminate the stuff no. that was in the Talk original frame. Yeah. We just enlarged it to say, you know, we're actually gonna accomplish more by including some of these things that you thought were outside of the Well that was a big part of it too, was breaking the frame of us and them. Yeah. You know, IT and the business, yeah. which I have a I oh I have a, Shivers go up my spine when I hear that. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it's just we are the business. We are the business. <laughs> and it was really breaking. This was actually part of the shared language that we had to create. Yeah. As I said, you can't say IT and the business. Well, the business needs and IT is going to do. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're all one team. Yeah. One team. We all bring our different expertise. Right. But we're one. We're one jazz band. We all play different instruments. Yes. Right. But we're one band. Yes. With one objective, and that is to please our audience. Right. Right, and so that was really this, this again, this, this break in this frame of reference and, and helping people think differently. And that, I think, again, the metaphor, uh, back to your, how do you get people to let go of their own and think more broadly, is if you think in that, that think in that music mindset, you're gonna be the greatest clarinet player, no doubt, but you need the whole band to be successful. And you need to be thinking about how do I, how do I help or hinder the whole band. Other people in the band. That's right? it. How do I help or hinder them? Yeah, that's absolutely it. That's great. Ken, thank you so much for this time. I really appreciate it. It's awesome talking to you always about these things. Uh, I always love talking about music, Seth. Um, uh, next next time, what are we talking about? Next time. Next time. I love this, too. Because it really, boy, talking about helping the whole band and thinking about you know the rest, your colleagues. Talking about psychological safety mm. and creating that in a team. This is a really tough, gnarly issue in a lot of teams. And I think, though, this is a perfect setup for it. So Yeah, yeah it's great. Excellent. Next time. Next time. Thanks so much, Ken.